This episode is sponsored by Horizon Capital, an M&A and micro-private equity firm that acquires and grows SaaS companies. Horizon Capital only works with SaaS companies generating between 500K and 5 million in annual recurring revenue, where they help them unlock the true value of their business and scale to the next level. Whether you're ready to move on to your next startup or want to work with the right growth partner, Horizon's team will work with you to find the best structure possible. From M&A strategy to capital investments, SaaS is all they do. Simple as that. If you're a SaaS founder with less than $5 million in annual recurring revenue and are looking to sell your business, visit horizoncapital.com today and get a free valuation. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to generate a consistent flow of highly targeted B2B leads every single month without spending a budget, any money on ads. Today, we have our guest, Ken Wells, joining us. Ken is the founder and CEO of SalesKey. It's a sales and marketing company helping B2B companies identify, attract, and close their target clients, what they call a done-for-you lead generation service. And he also runs a coaching program with SaaS founders to help them build their own uh, B2B lead generation program for their, for their own business. Ken has over 17 years of B2B sales and marketing experience, which includes helping grow multiple Inc. 500 and 5,000 companies. Ken's a book reading machine, Italian food lover, casual basketball player, snowboarder, and powerlifter. So welcome, Ken. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. Um, so we've, we've known each other for a while here. We met in Guadalajara, which we're here today. Um, but for those of us who want to know more about you, can you share about your background and what was that moment that you knew that you wanted to become an entrepreneur? Yeah. So um, I started my sales career selling vacuums door to door, like cold calling on houses. And uh, then I moved into a sort of boiler room type uh, phone sales environment, selling car warranties over the phone, very aggressive, very intense. And um and then I kind of just started to work my way into B2B sales and just sort of started sort of leveling up. I've always kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit. The first business that I took a crack at was an MLM company. Mm-hmm. And I was mentored by one of the top reps in this MLM company called Excel, which is this, actually at the time, this huge telecom, like multi-level marketing company. Okay, And um And the way we got leads back then is we would literally like post flyers and like people would call or we would just walk up to someone on the streets or in a coffee shop and start like pitching them this business opportunity. And uh, as the business started to grow um, and we started to to get, you know, I started to get really real traction with it. I was doing it alongside a full-time sales job. The company ended up going bankrupt. So I kind of put my entrepreneurial dreams on ice for a little while. Um, was just, you know, working these various B2B sales jobs. And uh, I think the turning point for me was um, I, after having been in B2B sales for about 10 years and kind of climbed to 
not the very top of the summit, but damn near, right? Like um, selling to, you know, enterprise level organizations, multi-million dollar deals that stretched years with, you know, 18 and 24 month sales cycles, traveling around the country, you know, selling at conferences. I was really burnt out. And um, I had this little routine where, you know, there was this uh, health food store, kind of like Whole Foods, I forget the name in Jacksonville. And I would go in the parking lot and I would have my lunch every day. And then I would like meditate for a little while. And then I would kind of like prepare for the second half of the day. And I remember there was this one day where I was sitting there meditating and all of a sudden I had this sort of really clear thought sort of bubble up from my intuition. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was like, what do I actually need to do to start my own business? And I remember in that moment, um, my, it kind of, it changed for me because it kind of turned from sort of a wispy daydream of like, oh, one day I want to have my own business and to like, okay, let's, you know, what do I actually need to do to do this? And so that led me to getting deep into, you know, studying digital marketing and um, copywriting and kind of, and taking some things that I had learned from a previous mentor. And then I went out and I started to do things like I tried to make money <laughs> through um, like blogging with affiliate products. Mm -hmm. I even did stuff like little arbitrage things oh, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, hey, like <laughs> take this illustrated, cool, digitally illustrated picture for someone would do for like $5 on Fiverr and then like sell it for 10. Like nice. I tried stuff like that and okay. like <laughs> failed a bunch of times. But yeah, I mean, that was kind of the turning point that day in the parking lot. Interesting. So was, how long did it take you? How many tries or how many efforts or how much time was it until you, you kind of hit the nail and, and finding B2B sales key, would you say, from that day? Well, I mean, it was this, this is a, a journey that spans, you know, 20 years, right? So mm. that first MLM, I was probably 20 years old. Um, and then, you know, and then I tried, there was another period where I actually was, I started, my buddy was flipping houses at the time he would like buy homes, fix them up and then resell them. And, and I started working with him and I, I started to help him like design like a more, um, systemized, like lead generation and sales process. And then I got some, a few clients through that, but that was always this, like, in addition to working full time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then what happened was, is, uh, trying to, <laughs> trying to remember, I think it was like 2013. Um, I started, you know, I was in my backyard and I was on my iPad and, and I got this email from Udemy and I, I looked at, you know, some of the courses on there and some of the student numbers and the prices they were charging. I did a little bit of math and I was like, some of these, some of these guys and gals are like doing okay on like Udemy, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, long story short, uh, I was getting out of a five-year breakup at the time. Mm -hmm. So kind of, kind of brokenhearted, a little tenderhearted. Um, and I had also just quit a, a six figure sales career to literally kind of go all in on this idea of like working for myself, generating passive income, living the digital nomad lifestyle. Yeah. And I went from, you know, six figure earning to like a couple hundred bucks a month mm. and like moved in with my sister type thing. Right. Yeah. I think everyone's got their like sure. entrepreneurial, like sleep on the couch story. Yeah. So like mine was like, I moved in with my sister. I was all brokenhearted from this relationship. And uh, somehow I just like managed to like wake up every day and like create these courses. And I, I spun that from like a couple hundred bucks to like 
six figures in in under a year. Um, and then did that for about, um, gosh, I don't know, like three years, I was still like creating courses all the time. But then I segued that into coaching, like one-on-one in group coaching. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, I started to get people to ask me to um, teach them how to use like LinkedIn and how to use email to generate like leads for B2B companies. And at first, um, and so at first we were just teaching them how to do it. And then like about 20 to 30% of those clients started to ask for done for you. Like, Hey, this sounds great. Um, you know, we understand the strategy, we get it, but we just, we don't have time to implement this or manage this process. Can you just do it for us? And at first we were just turning those folks away. Um, and then, uh, at one point I said, you know what, let's, why don't we create, you know, I created a company sales key in November of 2018. And the first clients came from the old like coaching clients that were started from the e-learning biz. Right. At this point, uh, I think we've been fortunate enough to enroll, you know, like 88,000 enrolled businesses and individuals in 182 countries. And then, uh, from there, uh, in January, 2019, we turned on like our outbound outreach program on LinkedIn and kind of the rest is history. That's where, where you are today. Yeah. So for those, uh, you know, looking to, to dive into the LinkedIn marketing strategies themselves, let's go specifically for SaaS companies because that's most of our audience. Sure. What, what are, what are the first steps or resources you suggest founders or marketers to get, like to get, to start building that effective uh, campaign on LinkedIn? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so I think it kind of goes beyond, you know, something specific just for SaaS. Like I, I, I totally get the fact that most people, or at least in my experience, having consulted with hundreds of small and mid-sized B2B companies, um, they tend to think that like their business is special or different or unique, more saturated, more competitive, harder somehow. And it's honestly rarely the case. Uh, but that said, I think like for any B2B organization with a, with a consultative sales process that's looking for more leads from LinkedIn, I think probably that the easiest thing to do would be to reverse engineer your case studies. So like you just look at like the wins you've already created for your clients and the lowest hanging fruit is just to kind of reverse engineer those mm. and turn that and, and build off of that for your initial like marketing campaign. Right. So like, Hey, we helped a, you know, computer software company. We helped a SaaS company to generate an average of one new client per month. That was, you know, clients that were paying them on average 50 to hundred K a month. Mm. If you, if you have a result like that or just any results, you can just, kind of reverse engineer those into your marketing campaign to choose your target mm-hmm. um, and then use that to get some easy wins. Let's say that you don't have a ton of client results. Then you just have to go with your best assumptions. You just start with like your own hypothesis, mm-hmm. go out there and test it. Um, shoot. We even, I mean, you know, you just kind of kind of work with what you have. Like you make your best assumptions if you don't have those client results to reverse engineer and go out there and test your message and, and go from there. Okay. And at, at what sense should, if I'm a, a SaaS founder and I'm considering to use this, uh, this channel for, for marketing, at what sense does it make sense to explore using LinkedIn as a, as a lead gen? Like what's the LTV? What's the size of the company you're targeting? Is there a, a, a number you like to, to look for that makes it worthwhile? Yeah. So um, generally, you know, when we're looking at um, partnering with a company, providing our service, like what we look for is, 
you know, B2B organizations that have an LTV of a minimum of 5,000 um, and have a, you know, a sales process in place to handle the leads. If they don't have that, you know, we provide that obviously as a, as a coaching service, help them build it. Uh, you know, but they, they have a process in place for handling leads. Um, they have a tested offer. So they're not just, you know, Hey, we have this cool idea and we're going to make a bunch of money, but like they actually have already like gone out into their market and validated it. And, um, and then finally, um, you know, I think, I, I, I just think that just the willingness to, the other part is not, you know, I guess this would be part of their sales process, but having like a strong follow-up process. I think people oftentimes underestimate what it actually takes to convert cold audiences, whether they come from LinkedIn or wherever they come from. Mm. A lot of, a lot of our clients, you know, they come to us after they sort of dry up um, their personal referrals and, and the, the leads they get from their personal network. So the only experience they've ever had is like those referral leads, which we all know are like, you know, far easier to convert, right? Like sure. everybody loves those. So um, I think that's what we generally look for. Okay. Those things. And if, if you've, I know a lot of people who start off, they usually start off with uh, email marketing to go out and do cold email outreach. How, what have you seen in terms of response rates and conversions when you compare LinkedIn to, to using email? Yeah. So um, I've personally, like all things being equal, like mm -hmm. if it's the same targeting, the same offer, et cetera, like I, I've literally never seen in, in a cold email campaign, like out convert or outperform mm -hmm. um, an outbound LinkedIn outreach program ever. Never. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and it, you know, I mean, when we talk about conversion rates, I mean, it's like the difference between like, you know, <laughs> uh, one to three per depending on the the how customized and how targeted the campaigns are like if you go with like a smaller volume but highly customized approach um, or a higher volume with less customization in the messages mm -hmm. you know looking at this the latter the the higher volume less customization you know if you can see like one to three percent conversion rate on LinkedIn, that's that's pretty solid for that type of campaign. Okay. Whereas like a similar campaign like that on email might be like 0.003%. Okay. So it's so a it's, massive it's difference. A massive, it's almost a hundred times. Now, and why that is, I mean, probably worth talking about a little bit like, you know, I don't know the exact reason why that is. I My, my feeling and kind of what, you know, logically what I, the reason I think that is, is because number one, you have a picture on LinkedIn, right? They can see the the picture of the sender. They can read their profile, mm. um, which most of the people that receive the messages are going to bop over to your profile and scan it. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be set up a certain way. Most people have their LinkedIn profiles set up like resumes rather than lead generation magnets, if you will. Um, and I think the third reason that it probably outperforms is it's a social media platform, right? right? Maybe people are a little more predisposed to engage on a platform like that rather than just getting a random email from someone they don't know. Sure. I guess they've, they've also, they get a lot of emails every single day, right? Versus, I mean, how many LinkedIn messages do you get in a day? Right? Yeah, yeah. true. Well, nowadays, more and more, <laughs> more, and more connection yeah. <laughs> requests and, true. and messages on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned that approach of, you know, high volume, you know, more targeted versus, you know, smaller volume, but more, customize. Um, and it seems like, you know, with the number system you guys mentioned, you try to aim for 22 to 36 leads per month when you're working with a client. Um, what's your reason for using that approach? Um, 
And which companies does that work best with, would you say? Yeah. So there's a few questions in there. So, um, so I think there's value to both approaches in the sense of, you know, a highly customized campaign, you're going to get higher conversion rates, obviously, um, but it's very time consuming. And then there's the higher volume approach, which honestly is the most kind of tried and true, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when we say higher volume, it doesn't mean that you just randomly send a bunch of message to like untargeted prospects. You want to make sure you have a really clean list. Mm -hmm. Um, I just mean that there's less customization in the sense that we're not going to each individual profile and like pointing out something specific for each individual prospect. Got it. So we actually deploy both techniques. And I think the reason is, you know, you, you talked about kind of this, or, you know, this sort of numbers game approach. Um, it definitely is a numbers game, but I look at it not from the standpoint of, hey, let's throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and hope something sticks, but more from the standpoint of kind of like musical chairs. Like, okay. Are you familiar with musical chairs? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I know you're from Canada, so I wasn't sure if that was like a popular, popular thing up there. But I just, you know, at, at one point I just realized that number one, there's a limited number of messages that you have to work with. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's becoming harder and harder just to get those messages delivered, let alone read because of so much noise. So I look at it from the standpoint of musical chairs in the sense that for every wrong prospect you put in a chair, that's one less chair that's available for the right prospect. So you got to really keep an eye on that because it doesn't matter how good your message is if it's going to the wrong people. Mm. So in terms of, you know, you ask like what companies is that strategy best for? Um, well, I think that it depends on your, your overall addressable market or how tight your targeting is. Yep. So if you have wider targeting, I would suggest starting with a higher volume, less customized approach. And then you can also test the other, like the, the smaller volume, higher customization. Mm-hmm. However, if you have a very small overall market, like you're like, we only target, you know, uh, burn care, uh, burn care doctors in, you know, the five boroughs of New York, you probably want to start with a, a more customized, smaller volume approach because you just have less, uh, chairs available and musical chairs. Makes sense. That that makes complete sense. So the idea is, you know, depends, really depends on your market and you adjust and I guess you test and, and decide what works, right? Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Um, so our team, you know, uses LinkedIn for, for our deal flow as well for M&A services at Horizon Capital. I, I want to say we've perfected the system or the process yet. And, you know, people think as marketers, when you're building marketing channels, you want them, you know, you want scalability. How do you look at, um, you know, LinkedIn? Is, is it even a scalable channel? And if so, when is it the right time to scale? And then what are some rules we need to be aware of so we don't get our account banned? I know that's something that comes up a lot too. Yeah, so I think that... Um when is the right time to scale? It just it kind of depends on many different factors. I mean, that's it, a there's a lot to that question. I mean, it depends on you know how many are you converting enough of the leads that you already get? Because mm-hmm. you know one of the things we find is people always kind of have this go to of, hey, I need more leads, I need more leads, and then when you actually dive into the different steps in their follow up process and their sales and marketing funnel, they're they're hemorrhaging opportunities that they already get. Mm-hmm. Um, so before you scale that, I would patch the holes in your funnel to make sure that you're converting at certain thresholds. Mm-hmm. Provided you do that um, and you're, you know, you're wanting to sort of take it to the next level, it is scalable from the standpoint of like you can, you can include more 
LinkedIn accounts. Like there's a limit to how much you can do with one account. Um, <clears throat> but you know, like we started with just my account and at sales key right now, I think we have uh, five or six LinkedIn accounts that are generating leads every month. We have clients that are, you know, closing in on 10 accounts. Okay. So, so you just create more accounts. And that's you create the- more account. I mean, and <laughs> the caveat to that is real accounts. Like, yeah, um, yeah. don't, I, I would definitely not recommend, uh, you know, what some people have, have asked of uh, us to do, which we declined, which was, can we just create a bunch of, you know, fake accounts and, and absolutely don't do that. It's mm. just a bad idea. Um, but you know, you can, if you have other team members, it doesn't even always have to be like the sales team, right? Like mm-hmm. we have like our account operations person. He doesn't handle any leads. He doesn't handle sales, but we're using his account to generate leads. Um, as far as like the things that you got to watch out for to make sure you don't get banned is honestly, there's a lot of little things, right? They make it harder and harder all the time because they, they want to protect sort of the experience of their users, which sure. I totally get. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably the two, two of the bigger things are, you know, don't use Google Chrome extension automation tools. Don't use cloud-based application, like the, uh, cloud-based automation tools. Those are two that will get you banned pretty quick. Okay. Um, the other thing you want to pay attention to is the number of connection requests you send out and the number of daily page views. Those and what, some, do you know what's the, what is the limit? Is it, I think 80 or hundred per day? Where do you for want For the connection request? Yeah. Um, you know, I think like a hundred is really like the, the, the cap yeah. and to be safe, you'd probably want to stay like well under that, you know, 60, mm-hmm. 70 okay. quality targeted connections. connections to send. Makes sense. Um, so I, I know when you're, you're targeting as well, like, you know, you have to being able to say no, I think sometimes is more important than taking every opportunity that, that comes your way. Um, and I think that also applies to qualification and lead, lead segmentation. What do you suggest to your clients when you're working them to eliminate in their process to, to get better results? Do you see them doing too much or and then you come in and say, look, you, you should probably cut this out? In terms of like they're casting too wide of a net? Yeah. Well, I think part of that you kind of figure out over time. So, I mean, I'll use the example of sales key when we turned on our outbound outreach engine, if you will, in January, 2019, we cast a, a wide net. So we went after, um, basically any B2B industry. <laughs> so we went after them all, right? right? Didn't know. And then within a couple months, what we found was um, that we identified some industries where, where we're kind of like, we definitely don't want any more of those. Okay. Um, and so we just kind of shaved those off. And then we just kept doing that. Like we started to notice and we would, the criteria we would use is like, the big one was like, do we want to work with more clients like this? Um, And there were some that were just very obvious. And then after we had served, uh, you know, a couple hundred clients, um, after about a year, year and a half, we um, actually looked at the data to determine like where, like what of all the clients that we had served, what were the percentages for the industries that they came from? Because Mm -hmm. I think that the, the, the biggest vote of your market is how they vote with their actual spend, right? Like with their credit card or their crypto, yeah. right? <laughs> Not just like a survey, like, would you be interested in this product? But like, what are like, who's actually spending money for your service? Mm. Um, and what we found was, you know, for us, 19% came from the marketing and advertising industry, which is obviously pretty broad. Mm-hmm. And about 16% came from software, which obviously includes SaaS companies. Right. 
And then we had like these, you know, a bunch that were like 5%. And then we had a whole bunch that were just like 1.9%, like these smaller percentages. And, and so then once we saw that, we kind of doubled down more on the top two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then placed, you know, we snipped off a couple more of like the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. And, and we just kind of rode with that. So I think it's something that you kind of determine over time. Right. I would veer on the side of casting a wider net. Okay. Unless you have tons of years of experience with tons of data to support your hypothesis of why you should only target certain industries. Got it. So you start applying the, the 80, 20, 20 principle at that point and then just focus. Yeah. On, yeah. Makes sense. What were the ones that initially that you said, I don't want to work with those kinds? <laughs> I, I, well, I was about to say one of them, but I, I hesitated. I didn't want to like, you know, someone's wife is a graphic designer okay. or something. No, um, just I mean, graphic design was one of them. We just, Okay. I don't know, like for a number of reasons, they just um, totally generalizing here, obviously it depends on the individual, but they just didn't seem like a good fit for us. You know, we, we really like working with companies that, under, that have some experience working with leads mm. so that they have more realistic expectations of like mm. what their part is once they get a lead. Got it. They understand the sales more than the right. Part, Rather right? than someone who, you know, they, they, they've had like, they've been in business 10 years. They have like four clients that they got through referrals and now they want to like try to go after cold audiences and mm. they wonder why it's harder to convert a cold lead than a, a referral. referral. <laughs> yeah. no, they don't understand there's a, a difference there. Sure. Sure. Makes sense. So from 20 years old, when you first started your, you know, working at that MLM, um, you know, now to where you are today, what, what's an advice you would, you know, looking back now, obviously you made a lot of mistakes. You went through the, the troubles and journey that you went through. What's an advice you'd give or wish you had known and te- you would tell your 25 year old self? I would say trust yourself more. Take in tons of information from outside sources, find the best teachers you can and take in all that information, but kind of let it coalesce within yourself Mm. to come up with something new and unique, right? So like, instead of just um, listening to everybody else or like the common wisdom and what's popular, Mm -hmm. go with what you think makes sense and go test your hypotheses. Try your own way. Um, I think that's been a huge shift for me because I think that, well, I don't think, I know that like, especially when I was, you know, in my twenties, I, I, I still read a lot, but I, I just was always just devouring information, but always from the standpoint of like, someone else knows better than me. Mm. And, and so where, where I actually made the biggest strides was when I was like, you know what, like I, this what I keep hearing this common wisdom, like, I don't, I don't agree with it. Mm. And I'm just going to go against it. And I'll give you one example from the e-learning business is they, everybody said that you had to, um, in order to build an online business, what you had to do was you had to give away free content endlessly for months and months. And then one day, you know, your clients will just flock to your door. (laughs) It's total bullshit. Yeah. Like it's, it's hmm. totally wrong. Right. Um, it, what, what a lot of people don't know, a little known thing that a lot of people don't know about that strategy is that if you give away free content for too long without asking someone for your market for money, 
your market actually gets kind of pissed when you finally ask them to mm, buy something mm. because you've conditioned them to expect free content. And suddenly you hit them over the head with an offer and they're like, what's it? Oh, what's going on? Ah, and they turn on you. Mm. So, so like that was one of the things I heard. And so I just was like, no, I'm just going to sell. Like I I've spent a lot of my own time and money to develop these skills. And I'm going to uh, like, it's, it, and it also takes me a lot of time to create the, these courses and this content. I'm just going to sell it from square one. And that's exactly what I did. It worked. I never built an email list. Huh. I, afterwards, I did of customers. Right. And then I sold them other, you know, yeah. upsells and cross sells. So I think that like, um, I think it's like a, the other thing that's, you know, advice that I would tell my 25 year old self is like things aren't black and white. Right. I heard this quote. I don't remember what it was, but the, the, core of it has always stuck with me. It was this, it was just this idea that if you hold two like opposing thoughts in your mind at the same time, it gives rise to like a higher level of intelligence. We can debate whether that's true or not, mm. but I've certainly found in like my, you know, my later years, um, that things are not completely like you have to, like, it's not black and white. Like it's both things at the same time. Like what advice would I give my younger self? On the one hand, yes, trust yourself more. Mm-hmm. Um, listen to your own intuition. But at the very same time, I would also say, like, challenge your own assumptions. <laughs> don't right. get don't get stuck siloed in your own ideas either. Mm. But like being able to like have both of those sort of seemingly conflicting principles operate at the same time. So that's, like a, that's a tough skill to manage, I think, right? That's a lot to ask from a 25-year-old. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so you say trust your gut. And then, you know, if, it, if you see A or B, you know, don't get stuck on A or B that, you know, quit, quit believing that like everybody else has like the, you know, much better answers than you can come up with through your own thinking, your own intuition. If you really spend a long time analyzing a problem Mm. and you really think about it, um, like quit believing that like the gurus have all the answers. Like they have a, a pathway and there's several pathways to these various goals that we have. Makes sense. More than actually more pathways than even if you add up all of the gurus and all of the people in the world and you add up all of the ideas, there's still more pathways. True. Um, and speaking of these gurus and, you know, you, you said you've devoured a lot of books then you're taking in a lot of information. Is there any, you know, three people or three books or resources, mentors, people you follow that you would say have been most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to break the question apart a little bit and just go further than just the past few years. And we'll bring it up to speed. Like, I mean, there's, there's several over the past, you know, over my lifetime, right? Books, resources, coaching programs, videos. Um, One that sticks out was actually uh, my old boss, a guy named Frazier Burns. And Frazier was, uh, Interestingly enough, like he dropped out of high school and he was like 17, started his first business when he was 18. By the time that I met him, which was like 10 years ago, um, you know, the guy had, it was a very successful serial entrepreneur, self-made multimillionaire, not just like a few million, but like, you know, he's, he's deep in seven, you know, deep in eight figures. Um, and, uh, and, um, you know, in another little side note is that like he had two companies. This is, uh, I think this will lead into one of your future mm-hmm. questions, a <laughs> teaser for the audience, um, is he had two, you know, he had several companies, but two of them had made the Inc 500 like nine times in 11 years. And he, he did it with like, without paying 
an ad, a dime on advertising. You just use him. Those two companies used LinkedIn and email mm-hmm. outreach. Oh. And he did it, did that. He also exploded a common myth. Um, I witnessed myself, you know, there's this sort of myth out there that like, oh, well, outbound outreach only works if you're targeting like small businesses. Like we targeted like, you know, mid-sized and enterprise level organizations and got leads appointments and new clients from it sprint being one of them i don't know if they'd be considered small mm-hmm. so um but he was you know he was probably the most instrumental i worked with him for about three years and uh i think he kind of like saw a bit of himself in me and so he would like take me aside you know this was my first exposure to like selling to like you know enterprise c-suite executives um so he would kind of pull me aside after each of these calls and kind of like give a little breakdown. Mm-hmm. And, and he taught me a lot of things that, um, that just stuck with me way more than anything I read out of a book or, but in addition to that, I think, you know, a few, uh, other names that I would kind of give shout outs to would be like, you know, Peter Drucker's the effective executive Very was pretty instrumental. Um, Michael Masterson, Eugene Schwartz breakthrough advertising okay. was a game changer for me. Alvin Toffler, mm-hmm. Um, so those are a few, but there's so many, I mean, you know, and, and honestly just kind of circling back to what we were talking about before, like over the past few years, I still read and I still, you know, consume, listen to ebook, you know, listen to, um, audio books and do coaching programs and things, things like that. But my process has changed a lot. Like I don't, I trust myself more. So I just, I take in the information and then I'll modify it based on my own idea and create like my own way of, of doing it. Right. So you just, you have a better filter at this point, right? You don't take everything in. That and also <laughs> like, I like to combine things from like various yeah. unrelated industries. Yeah. And, and just like, oh, that works over here. Like, what if I like tweaked it slightly and added it with all this other stuff and then well, that's put how, it out That's there. the definition of innovation, right? It's kind of pattern matching from different things and that's how you twist and find interesting things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's cool that, uh, you know, that you mentioned your, your old boss who's done really well just through outreach. And we've seen, you know, other SaaS companies we've talked to and they have done, they've done zero marketing and all they've done is just outreach. And yeah, they've gotten up to eight figures that and I've seen. And it's pretty impressive when people people see the real power of what, what, what it can capably, capably do with LinkedIn, right? Yeah, and then you hear things like, well, cold email is dead. Yeah. Like, all right, <laughs> keep believing that. And that's just more for me and everyone else who knows better. Exactly. Yeah. For those of you listening, you have something to take away. Um, what, what are the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to, to grow your company right now? Um, so, hmm, that's a good question. I think it's just managing the, the team, mm. right? Like, in, or, or more accurately, like, training the manager to manage the managers to manage the teams. Mm. Um, I have such high expectations for myself that when you bring someone else on board and they're not you or they don't do it your specific way, Mm -hmm. it's like, I I just have to like always like stop myself instead of being like super perfectionist or Mm. like allow them to have some slack to do it a, a way that's different than me. So I think that's probably the, just, just managing the, the people. And also, you know, as a fast growing company, I mean, um, you know, we grew, we grew like 1200% our first year. I think we grew like 20, a little over 2,600% last year. Um, 
it's kind of like being the founder of a company like that is kind of like having your hands on the wheel of a car that's going really fast because mm-hmm. like the, the, the minor like movements like mm-hmm. create a lot more yeah. <laughs> instability in the system. And instead of like when you're, when it's super small mm. and you get, you know, a problem happens, it doesn't create like an avalanche of work. Sure. Um, so I think those are some of the challenges of, you know, that we're currently facing. Sounds like a good problem. You're scaling and growing really quick and just having to, to perfect that process, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, now, now you're where you are today, you, you know, uh, built the courses, had different, you know, business models that you work with from a six figure job back to back to $100 a month. Um, you know, it seems to be you're, you're doing quite well. What does success mean to you today? Whether it's personally, business, financial, there's no, no right answer. But Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a huge question to answer. And I don't, I don't think that I have like a, a I've, I've come across like the perfect answer for me. Mm-hmm. It's always changing. Okay. Exactly. Um, but I would say like today it's one of the coolest things is like, again, like having your own ideas and your own, you know, just testing an idea that you have. And, and then even like going beyond just the testing phase, like, oh, it didn't work. And then walk away. But like, finding a way to make it work. Mm. That's fun. Um, we did a, we did a thing last year that, uh, I'll tell a quick story. <laughs> so there's a friend I have in Colombia. I remember she told me, uh, this was like in 2019. She was like, Oh, you know, when, when my friends and I have extra money, um, we, we like to like go make meals and hand them out to homeless people. I'm pretty selfish by nature, just honestly, you know? And so like when she said that, I was like, all right, like, that's cool. Like, <laughs> like your extra money goes towards helping people. Like that was like, okay. <laughs> so this same gal, um, she kept sort of asking, like a few months later, she started asking me for like a job. Like, do you have any work for me? At the time, I really, really didn't have a spot for her. And then a few months uh, before Christmas of last year, she, she hit me up again and she was like, hey, like, do you have any work? Right. Cause, cause people are struggling down there. Right. Mm. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Um, and, and then I actually did have something for, her. so I was like, yeah, you can be like an assistant to the sales team. You can do little things like, you know, free up their time. So I hi- hired her full time. The first thing she said to me was she was like, again, yay. Now I can buy toys for kids at Christmas. And I was <laughs> like, that hit me like right in the heart. Cause I was like, I've never gotten a job. And like, my first thought was like how I could help someone else. Right. Mm-hmm. Just little like 25 year old engineering student, you know, just like that's her first thought. And so I was like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, tell me more about that. And, um, and she's like, well, you know, when we have extra money, me and my friends, we also like to like give toys to like kids at Christmas time. And when she had brought up the homeless thing in 2019, like I, I sent her some money and she like documented her whole process, like buying the food, making the meals, actually handing them out to homeless people on the streets. So when she brought up the toy thing, I was like, well, I want to be involved in that. And so sales key donated some money. And then we also, um, once she started like getting after it with her and her, her friends and family, like, uh, we decided to kind of double down on that. And we actually like more people, like we asked people on our team, like, do you want to help out? And they, everybody on our team, we have over 15 now full timers. 
and a bunch of contractors and everybody was like, we want to participate in this. So it was kind of weird to be like, all right, well, like PayPal me the money, you know? So I set up like a GoFundMe page. I just said like, all right, here's this goal that we have. Like sales key is also going to match like whatever anyone else contributes. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget the ex- exact numbers, but I think we were able to give out like, um, like close to 400 toys last year during Christmas yeah. and uh, like 146 care packages. Care packages meaning like, food, cooking supplies, um, you know, toiletry items, personal items to like families in Medi- Medellin mm-hmm. and uh, Barranquilla mm-hmm. in Colombia. So I don't know. I think like for me, success is like realizing my dreams, but at the, at the same time, like getting to a point of having so much abundance that like your first thought isn't about yourself, that it's, it's mm-hmm. to what can you do to you know, as corny as it may sound, like what can you do to help someone else? Nice. I love that. Love that story. So, I mean, you got kind of a fulfillment out of that experience. Seems like she kind of uh, uh, inspired you at that point, right? It triggered something in you that you probably never thought of before. And, and you kind of followed her path and seemed to bring something out of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, like I said, I'm <laughs> far too self, my natural disposition, I'm far too selfish to just immediately think of the welfare of someone else as being honest. Sure. I think, I think if most people are honest with themselves, that that's probably yeah. true. For I'm not going to argue that. But right? uh, yeah, no, that was, that was an, uh, that felt better. Um, that was one of, that felt better than a, a lot of things that I've done or achieved over the past several years. So, wow. Wow. love it. Um, Ken, this has been great. Thank you for joining SAS District. What's your, what's your future plans for Sales Key? And where can our audience get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your coaching program or you know trying out your service as well for their own SaaS company? Yeah, sure. So future goals for Sales Key um, is we want to make the top 100 of the Inc. 5000 in 2023, which is dependent on our top line revenue in 2022. What they do is they compare like a three-year period. Mm. So they're going to compare 2019 to 2022. Okay. Um, from 20, you know, from 2019, we would have needed like a 5X from that point. Mm-hmm. But at this point, we still need like a little over three, like a little over 3X, a hair over 3X from where we're at today to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Um partially so I can send my mentor, Fraser Burns, a thank you email with mm-hmm. like a little bit of a like, hey, thanks. You know, this is what we did type of thing. Um, and uh, also, I just think it would be kind of cool. I mean, it's 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 an achievement to hit the Inc. 5000. Like most people don't get there by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, to hit the top 100 the first year a company is eligible is pretty rare. So I just think it's a cool thing to shoot for. And it's going to require me to grow a lot as a leader to get there, which I'm all about, you know, forcing myself into situations that perpetuate growth. And then as far as like, if, if anyone wants to get, you know, in touch with us, get into our universe, you know, get more information on our programs, it's b2bsaleskey.com. So that's B, the number two, B, salesky.com. Okay. Awesome. We'll add those links to, to our show notes. Cool. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. Thank you for jumping on today. Yeah, likewise. We'll uh, we'll see you on the basketball court. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SAS industry. If you're a SAS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. 
and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.